on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning pleading for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we desire to understand your word. We want to know you. We want the ministry of the Spirit to show us ourselves and bring us to renewed repentance, to instruct us, and to form us into the likeness of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, the passage that we're looking at this morning is relevant to us all. This morning, God's word confronts us. And we're going to have to make a choice. In this passage, Jesus makes perfectly clear that those who follow him must choose the path of self-denial service, and suffering. Because in this life, we're presented with two options, two ways to live our lives, two completely different ways of living. And we see that in the text. In verse 35, it describes one way of living. James and John say to Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. As we will see, this is how the world around us lives seeking to take and gain for themselves. 
That's one way of living. And then the alternative is seen in verse 45, which is one of the central verses in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The other option for living your life is a life of self-sacrifice and service and giving. And there is no middle ground here. You can't be in the middle. You are either living a life for yourself or a life of service towards others. A life shaped by the culture or a life aimed at following Jesus. And my main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is this, is that we serve because Jesus serves. We serve because Jesus serves. In the context of our passage, Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem. And now for the third time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus explains what will happen when they get there. Jesus knows and he predicts to the 12 that he will be handed over, he will be humiliated and killed. And at this moment, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, take the opportunity to tell Jesus what they want. Do you see that? Look again at verses 35 through 37. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he, Jesus, said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. I'm not sure what's worse. What James and John want or the timing of these two disciples. This was right after Jesus had told them that he was going to suffer and die. And instead of trying to comfort Jesus or at least be considerate of the fact that he was going through something, James and John want something from him. This is not the way of a servant. Think of how sinfully selfish they are in this moment. It's like one of your friends coming to you and telling you, hey, I'm going to undergo some life-threatening surgery. And you're like, hmm, can I have your car? <laughs> I mean, these guys just said exactly what was on their minds. They had no filter. But before we get to the point of thinking, man, the dumb disciples, they never get it. I'm glad I'm not like them. We need to be reminded that the Bible is very clear that we are very much like the disciples. They are examples for us. They are mirrors of our own lives and hearts. We do the very same things. And it's ironic here in the text that James and John call Jesus teacher when their words actually prove that they've never really understood one of the main aspects of his teaching. They've not been attentive students. 
He has already taught them in previous moments of the gospel or in the gospel of Mark. And he said this, if anyone were to come after him, that they should deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. He also says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus has laid out the way in which his disciples should live. But it seems to have gone in one ear and out the other. And the same goes for us. For those of us who are Christians, who read God's word, we know that one of the central teachings of Jesus is to be a servant, a servant of all. And yet many of us neglect to actually live this out in our normal everyday lives. To be completely honest with you, I've felt convicted this whole week because I'm working on this sermon, I'm busy, and yet my wife has certain needs around the house, and yet I'm too selfish to get up and help her with them. We neglect to actually live out the teachings of Jesus. We tend to focus on ourselves, what we can get. But look at how Jesus is graciously receptive to their request. I mean, they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we want. They, they treat him like he's a magic genie. But how does Jesus treat them? Graciously, with grace. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? That's the question of a servant. James and John respond by saying, they wanna sit at Jesus's right and left hand. This means that they wanted a place of honor in Jesus's kingdom. They wanted the best seats. Do you see what they're doing here? Peter, James, and John were the ones that seemed to be the closest to Jesus. They experienced moments in Jesus's life that the other disciples didn't. And so James and John look around and think, Peter's not here. Let's convince Jesus to give us the most important seats in his kingdom. They're ambitious. They're hungry for fame and recognition. They desire to be great. But they're only thinking of themselves. And this is what sin does. God calls his people to be humble, to consider, consider others more significant than ourselves. But pride fuels the love of self. And we see this in James and John. And sadly, the world around us and even our church is full of Jameses and Johns. Take a moment and think about this. If Jesus were to come to you and say, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? What do you really want in life? What do you desire? Most often, our responses to questions like this are fueled with self-centered, self-seeking requests. 
The world around us has taught us to follow our own hearts, to self-promote, to get many followers on Instagram, to love ourselves more than anything. And what's really sad about James and John's requests is that they have a major inability to see what they actually need. What they need, what they are proving here that they need is the very redemption that Jesus has come to offer them. They were ambitious, but they also wanted power. What do you think they expected to sit on? Do you think they expected to sit on the floor right next to Jesus? Maybe on a beanbag? There's no doubt that they were expecting to sit on thrones. They wanted the power and authority that comes from sitting on a throne. And from the details that we find out about James and John and all four Gospels, we understand that they come from a family that had money. Their father Zebedee owned a fishing business and had many servants. And so they were used to a certain lifestyle. So it's possible that as James and John left everything to follow Jesus, they missed that power. They missed having people serve them. And so they come to Jesus with their request in order to get something back for following him. Their request has nothing to do with the plans and purposes of the kingdom of God. They're not asking for these seats in the kingdom in order for them to exercise more influence and promote the message of the gospel around the world. They desire position and power. They want to rule. They want to be great. They want to be served. And we live in a world that is full of this hunger for power. Think about power-hungry people. How do they treat others around them? They don't care about others around them. They desire to be served. James and John didn't care at this moment that Jesus was going to suffer. They wanted him to do whatever they asked. They were ambitious. They sought power. But they were also seeking comfort and ease and security in these seats. And Jesus replies to them in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What's their answer? Without even thinking, we can. They had no clue what Jesus was talking about. Here, drinking the cup and being baptized are references to suffering. Jesus is making the point that greatness in his kingdom involves suffering. It means to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow him. And on the cross, Jesus would drink the cup of God's wrath against sin. 
Remember in Matthew 26 where Jesus prays to the Father in the garden, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus drank the whole cup of God's wrath. Every last sip. And baptism here refers to being overwhelmed or plunged into the waters of God's judgment. Like when the waters of judgment rose in the flood during the time of Noah. Or when Pharaoh's army was overwhelmed with the Red Sea. Baptism here means suffering. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says this, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. The cup and baptism refer to terrible suffering. And Jesus is asking James and John, can you literally drink and be submerged into this type of suffering. But James and John are oblivious to the meaning of this. They might have thought that the cup referred to wine being served at the messianic banquet. And maybe the baptism could be the bath that people normally would take before such a great banquet. And so they're saying, yes, Jesus, a bath and then some wine? That sounds good. Aren't you amazed at the patient grace of Jesus with his disciples? Instead of lashing out and saying, guys, this is the third time we've had this type of conversation. Jesus graciously leads them from where they are to where they need to be. He doesn't get angry. He redirects their ambitions. Can they drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism with which Jesus was baptized? The answer to this question is an overwhelming no. They can't. There's no way they could handle it. No one can. Nobody can. This specific suffering that Jesus was to participate in was reserved for him alone. We sing that song, What Can Wash Away Our Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They were not able to drink the cup or be baptized in the way that Christ was. Only Christ was able to bear divine judgment. His cup and baptism was for our salvation. But Jesus does tell them that they will drink the cup and be baptized. Take a look at verses 39 and 40. He says, the cup that I... I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my, at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. While they can't undergo suffering in the way that Christ did, bearing the judgment of God and his work of salvation, they will follow in this path of suffering. They will go through sufferings that will purify them and make them more like Jesus. Both James and John shared in Jesus' suffering later on in their lives. 
They went on to live for Jesus and were willing to suffer for his name and to serve others. And James was the first disciple to be killed. In Acts 12, we read that he was killed by the sword. And John suffered by being exiled to the island of Patmos. Jesus calls all who follow him to the path of suffering, to put suffering before comfort and ease. Jesus cannot offer James and John the best seats because God the Father has prepared who's going to sit there. And I have no clue who's going to be sitting there. We don't know. But probably the people that we least expect. Jesus cannot promise them the best seats, but he can promise them suffering. And so Jesus, James, and John have this conversation, and then at some point, the other disciples hear about it. And they are angry. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They're indignant. They're not angry at James and John for asking Jesus the wrong things. They're angry because James and John beat them to the punch. They wanted those seats. They were jealous because they had their own ambitions to be great in Jesus's kingdom. And James and John got there first. Imagine Peter's face. Like, guys, I thought it was us three. They're mad. And as the room gets heated, Jesus calls them together to teach them. Look at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The Christian community operates on an entirely different level than the secular community. Jesus reminds the disciples that the way of the world is power-hungry, self-seeking, and it often abuses its authority. It uses people to get what it wants. The unbelieving world is driven by selfish ambition. In the world, the more important you are, the more people serve you. But he says, the kingdom that I've called you to does not operate this way. He says, the Gentiles, the world around you, they put themselves first. Take a moment and think what you are asking me. You're asking for power, for honor, for comfort and ease, a life of being served. But what does Jesus say in verse 43? If you're okay with writing in your Bibles, which I am, uh, feel free to underline the phrase in verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. But it shall not be so among you. Not so with you. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be different from this world. 
We are called to serve, to follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in verse 45 came to serve, not to be served. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant. The word servant here means the one whose actions are not directed by their own interests, but the interests of another. If you desire true greatness, be a slave towards all. A slave belongs to others. And as a slave of Jesus Christ, I belong to him and to his people. James, John, and all the disciples were craving power so that they would be served. But Jesus confronts them in their sin and their self-seeking. And he says, not so among you. And that phrase is just as much for you as it was for the disciples. Not so with you. And so you have to choose. A life full of living for yourself and taking or a life living for the good of others and giving. A life of seeking comfort and ease or a life of suffering. A life seeking power or a life of service. Following the ways of the world or following Jesus. The way of Jesus, the way of the cross is incompatible with self-seeking. It's incompatible with power grabbing. It's actually incompatible with trying to live a life of ease. Look again at verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The title Son of Man is in reference to the Messiah, the one who would free his people and rule forever. But here, radically, Jesus redefines who and what the Messiah would be by saying that the Son of Man would give his life as a ransom. This word ransom refers to a price paid to secure the release of prisoners. The ransom that Jesus is speaking about here is in relation to the fact that human beings are incapable of reconciling themselves to God due to our sin. The Bible very, very clearly teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. We are in need of redemption. A price must be paid. And Jesus paid that price. This verse speaks of Jesus' substitutionary atonement, which means that his sacrificial death on the cross paid for our redemption. He took the place of the many so that what should have happened to them happened to him. In Isaiah 53, it says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and that he bore the sins 
of the many. We sing that song, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a savior. The son of man ransomed his people. Jesus gave his life away. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't come to this earth to make something of himself. Philippians, Paul tells us in Philippians that he actually emptied himself. This was his choice, and he did it. He emptied himself. He humbled himself, and he did this to himself. He chose to go to Jerusalem. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to pay our ransom. He never thought about himself. He was always finding ways to serve. He never thought about his reputation. Look at the people that he hangs out with. The outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, the lepers, the prostitutes. He took the form of a servant. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus is not only a great example of how we should serve, but he is the one who has served us. He has served us by ransoming us from our sin and death. He is the servant and the savior of all who believe in him. And so his serving us actually enables us to serve in the ways that he has called us to. Without his service to us, we are unable to reject that desire for fame and power. Without his help, we are unable to face any sort of suffering that comes our way. And like Philippians says, when we remember Jesus who emptied himself, who took on the form of a servant, then we are able to humble ourselves and count others more significant not looking to our own interests, but the interests of others. This is what we are called to. Sinclair Ferguson says this, the way of the disciple is different than the way of the world. True greatness is measured by our service, not how high up the ladder we have climbed, but how far down the ladder we are prepared to climb for the sake of others. If you desire to follow Jesus, follow in his example of service. This text confronts our pride and our self-seeking. It reveals how much that we have allowed our culture to influence us, to be so focused on self-esteem and status and significance. We profess to be followers of Jesus But what are we known for? What is our church known for? 
Are we known for how we serve each other and the community around us? Either we're going to do what the Bible says or what the culture has been feeding us. Like us, the disciples needed to hear this message over and over and over again. But you know what's really encouraging about this? Is that they eventually got it. So there's hope for us. Jesus' patience with his disciples led to John writing multiple letters to the church. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John, John, the John from this moment says this later on in his life. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John learned from this teaching. John realized that the path that Jesus calls us to is a selfish way of life. Are you going to choose self-seeking, self-importance, self-love, or self-sacrifice in the service of God and others? You have a choice, and you have to choose But Christians, remember Jesus' words, not so with you. And so to close this all up, to bring some application, to the younger folks in the room, you have your whole life ahead of you. But keep in mind, you only have one life. So how are you going to spend that life? Will you spend it seeking things for yourself, trying to make a name for yourself, getting all the things and experiences that you want at the expense of others? Or will you choose to spend your life in serving? Do you want to be great? Then choose the path of service. And then you may be here and you might be in a high position at your job, You have many people working under you. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ tells you to serve with that power. And some of us here, we've been members at Calvary for a while, and you aren't serving for one way or another. You're just not. The application for you today is to connect with me, with Pastor Scott, with one of the deacons, and how you could serve our church You should be serving in some way. And I guarantee you, we'll find places for you to serve with the gifts that the Lord has given you. Whether that means starting a new thing, ending a new thing, or ending something that just needs to change because the Lord has uniquely gifted you in a certain way, we would love to talk to you about that. But maybe you're here. Michael and I had this conversation earlier this morning. Um... Maybe you're here and you're, you're serving. You've been serving. So you, you hear this message and you're like, yeah, woohoo, yeah. Maybe the application for you today is this that maybe you haven't been serving with the right attitude. That's just as bad as not serving. 
So you need to repent and ask the Lord to help you serve like Christ served. The Christian life is not about ambition. It's about self-sacrifice. It's not about power. It's about service. It's not about comfort. It's a life of suffering. It's about being a servant and a slave of all. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, trust him to change us like he did with James and John. For even, for even, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We serve because Jesus serves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder of the gospel this morning. That Jesus has served us and saved us by giving up his life as a ransom. We confess that we are often influenced more by the world than your word. Lord, forgive our sin of pride and jealousy. Make us a people desperate for greatness in your kingdom. Teach us how to love you more, to follow you more with all of our hearts. Help us to be lowly servants, following in the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.